today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. This is what I think Paul is saying to Timothy and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church today. He who hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit is saying. Do you know who this God is? Do you know how much He loves you? He will do anything for you. My goodness, He did not withhold His Son from you. What is He going to withhold from you? Is there anything He won't do for you if He did that? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 1 Timothy. God is so much bigger than any trial you could possibly face in your life. As you'll hear today with Pastor J.D., your problems will seem so much smaller when you compare them with how awesome and great your God is. He's the ultimate source of strength for you, even beyond what you can imagine. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in 1 Timothy chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. If I don't truly believe that God is always only good, then I'll be deceived thinking he's angry with me and now against me. And is that not the lie from the father of lies? Oh, come on. You know how it goes. You've seen this movie, right? You uh, mess up. You fall. You fail. You falter. You sin. And there's the enemy right there, right? Popping the popcorn. You know, sit down. Just, you know, he plays it, live streams it for you. And he just goes over and over and over it again. Why? Because he wants to keep you from the Lord and the forgiveness of the Lord. Because that was already paid for. But he doesn't want you to know that or come to that. So he wants to build this infrastructure of guilt and condemnation. And he'll say things to you. I'm sure you've heard it. You've heard these words, maybe in a different way, but it'll sound something like this. Wow. I'd lay low for a while if I were you. You know, you did that again? I don't think God's too happy. And you even promised. You even made a vow. I'll never do that again. (laughs) Stop doing that, by the way. And he's right there to remind you and just rub your nose in it. You know, God's pretty much had it with you. And I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't even go to church. I mean, my goodness, if you went to church and the people you were sitting next to knew, don't look at the person sitting next to you, what you did. (laughs) Right? Some of you are crawling underneath the chairs. Get back up. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. Let me read verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, the enemy wants us to think that 
God's now against us, mad at us, and that situation that you're in, it's like God's giving you the silent treatment. (laughs) In verse 32, he expounds on why it is that if God is for us, and he is, that no one or no thing can possibly be against us, specifically God. He's not against us. He's for us. Here's why. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Did you hear that? You hear what he's saying here? Check it out. It's like this. You think I'm against you? After all I've done for you? Even loving you so much that I would send my only begotten son to die for you? So that you can have eternal life? And I mean, let me me see if I got this straight. I'm, I'm just playing it out. Bear with me. So I did all that for you. My son, my only begotten son, died for you. And you don't think I'm for you? And by the way, if I would do that for you, is there anything I wouldn't do for you? What was your problem again? Yeah, but this is really bad. Stop looking at that trial in your life because the more you look at it, the bigger it gets. Look to him. And I promise you again on the authority of God's word and God's love that your eyes are on him, as Isaiah says, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You're looking at that crisis, that situation, that difficulty, that trial, that hardship through the lens of your God. This is why it is, I believe, that Jesus, not harshly, never imagined the Savior having a harsh tone with the disciples. The Pharisees and Sadducees, yes, not the disciples. When he would say to them, why did you doubt Ye of little faith. It's not, oh, ye of little faith. No, never imagine him saying it like that. I hope you don't. The enemy wants you to, because then again, it plays into this whole notion that God's really upset with you. (laughs) No, it's, it's more like this. It's more like, why is your faith so little when your God is so big? When you see your circumstances through the lens of your big God, it becomes small. But when you see your God through the lens of your circumstances, then your God becomes small. And this is what I think Paul is saying to Timothy and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church today. He who hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit is saying, do you know who this God is? Do you know how much he loves you? He will do anything for you. My goodness, he did not withhold his son from you. What is he going to withhold from you? Is there anything he won't do for you if he did that? I was thinking about this the other day, and just from my own 
walk with the Lord, you know, it's like I've been very open with you. I still struggle with anxiety and worry. I'm a worrier, you know. Man, I'll, I'll find something to worry about. And if I can't find something to worry about, I'll ask you what I can worry about for you, just so I can worry about it. <laughs> it's an area where God's really working in my life. And, and so I'll find myself sometimes uh, just, you know, fretting and fearing and worrying. And it's like the Lord's going, what are you doing? Oh, I don't know. Lord, I just, this doesn't look good. I know. I look good. Why you look to me? Why are you, you're worrying about this and that, and yet it seems maybe you forgot who I am and what I'm capable of. You know those stars you see at night on a clear night? I created those. I not only created them, I named them. It's a lot of names. He named them. Oh. The sands on the seashore? Some believe the same number as the stars in the sky? <laughs> so you're king eternal, immortal, invisible, and you have all the honor, all the glory, and you're the only God. And there's none like you. Who is like unto you? And by the way, you're my God. He's my God, and He's your God. You know how it is when you're in a situation and you know, you'll kind of flex your muscles, and especially when you're younger, you know. Well, my dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, my dad. How about this one? <laughs> my dad is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. <laughs> how about that? That's my dad. He said I can call him dad too. Baba, Abba, Papa. He's my God. He's my dad. You know how much he loves me? There's nothing he wouldn't do for me. He's not going to let a hair on my head fall to the ground. With me, he's allowed some, quite a bit actually, but (laughs) unless, and he'll notice it. How about that? You think about the birds of the air, the flowers of the field in Matthew chapter 6. If he clothes that beautiful flower that's, I mean, it's here today, it's going to be gone tomorrow. How much more will he clothe you? If he feeds that bird, have you ever seen a bird, like for those of you that have gone to Israel with us, it's so beautiful, especially depending on the time of the year. And here on that side of the mountain with the Sea of Galilee, and you can just imagine... And picture Jesus teaching. And as he does, he points to the birds in the air and he goes, I know this is a very loose paraphrase, just indulge me, but he's like, you guys, you see those birds? Have you ever seen them stuffing worms into a barn? You ever see that flower over here? Ever spinning going, oh no. You know, I wore this color last week. That's silly, right? How much more? How much more value created in his image? I mean, if he's going to take care of them, he's going to take care of you. What's the matter with you? 
basically it. That's the bottom line, right? there. You put the caption underneath. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Should be the title of the teaching, I guess. What's the matter with you? You forget who I am? Here's the second vital truth. And it's that of recalling what God did. Here in verse 18, this is interesting. Paul tells Timothy to recall, remember, what was prophesied about him in the past in order that he may be able to fight the battle well. In other words, Timothy, uh, you're in the midst, in the heat of the battle, the midst of the crisis. Just remember what God did in the past in your life. And this is specific. We don't know what it was that was prophesied to Timothy, but we do know that whatever it was, he could draw upon it for much-needed strength from it. In other words, recalling what God did in the past can serve as a much-needed reminder of what God will do in the present and even in the future. One of the best examples of this is the life of David. For those of you that were with us who are studying First and Second Samuel, man, I tell you, there's this one account, it's very well known, it's when David shows up at the battlefield at his father's request to check on his brothers, three of which were there on the battlefield, and all this time, this uncircumcised Philistine, and by the way, David never once calls him by his name Goliath, and for good reason, because Goliath means champion. And to David, he's no champion. He's a blasphemer that has blasphemed the name of his God. And you don't get away with that. That's not okay. So he shows up and he's met by his oldest brother, Eliab, who I believe was really bitter and resentful towards David. Because in that culture, in that day, it's the same today. The firstborn is the heir apparent. And when Samuel shows up at the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel to succeed Saul... David's not even in the lineup. His other seven brothers are. And the first one, always go to the firstborn, Eliab. Probably stood, you know, tall and probably buffed, you know. Surely I will be the king of Israel. Samuel basically goes, you're not. I'm not. And he goes all the way down the line. And all of his brothers, it's none of them. Jesse. Do you have any more sons? I'm sure I heard the Lord correctly here that I was to come to your house and anoint your son, the son of Jesse, to be the next king of Israel. And here's dad, right? You got the baby of the family, this ruddy, handsome teenager. And so Jesse goes, actually, I do. Well, where is he? Um, he's out tending to the flock. Perfect. Go get him. In fact, there's an urgency in the narrative like, don't even bother to take a break or eat anything until you get him here. Get him here right now. So they bring him in. Sure enough, he's the one. And everybody's baffled and astonished and flabbergasted. And that's when Samuel utters the words that should be indelibly written on every single one of our hearts. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God 
looks at the heart. So could you imagine all of the brothers, but especially Eliab, he's looking over at his young brother David. Are you kidding me? He's going to be king? So I think at that point there was such a bitterness in his heart. And so here David shows up at the battlefield. And who does he uh, run into first? His older brother Eliab. And what does Eliab say? Oh, my young brother, future king of Israel, sweet psalmist of Israel. No. (laughs) He's like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Well, dad sent me. Go home. Get out. This is for men. Oh, it is, huh? Then (laughs) why is it then, men, that for 40 days and 40 nights, the number of judgment, you have listened to this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of my God. Let me at him. They take him to Saul. Saul's like, oh, come on. Come here, David. Come here, little boy. Tries to talk him out of it. David's like, what in the world? What is up with you guys? This is not okay. Think about this. They've been listening to that blasphemy for 40 days and 40 nights. David hears it one time. That's it. That's not okay. I'm going to silence his big, ugly mouth. I'm not going to do it. God's going to do it. Just let me (laughs) take care of this. (laughs) No need to fear. (laughs) David is here. (laughs) You're looking at him and you're kind of like, (laughs) what is he, four foot nothing? So he goes into this whole, you know, conversation trying to convince Saul to let him go. And Saul saying, no way, man. He's going to eat you for lunch and spit out the leftovers. <laughs> He's been killing people longer than you've been alive. And David's like, Saul, you don't understand. He's blaspheming God. So... We pick up the story now in verse 34 of chapter 17, and it says, David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. Boy, I would have loved to have been a fly on a camel to see that. A lion by his mane and struck and killed it with his bare hands, man. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he said it just like that too, with his teeth gritted, will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, God, <laughs> what are you going to say to that? Because now you see what happened here, right? It's no longer David against this uncircumcised Philistine. It's God. And this uncircumcised Philistine is about to find out. And it's almost like, I know it's not in the narrative, but when he gets out there, and of course, 
you know, Goliath uh, looks at him and goes, is this a joke? Am I being punk? Come on, <laughs> what are you doing? Go back home, like your brother said. <laughs> and he starts talking smack. It's the first time that we find, you know, talking smack. I'm going to take you and I'm going to do this. David's going, I, I think there's been a misunderstanding here. Because you think that your battle's against me? <laughs> no, this is, you blaspheme God. That's a big boo-boo. It's not me. You've come up against God. And so, of course, you know the story, but what's the point? The point is, is that David drew upon that which God did in the past, and he brought it into his present circumstances. And it's like this. If God could do that for me then, he can do this for me now. You know, after our daughter Noelle died in 2006, I remember my wife and I just, you know, we spent a lot of time together. Of course, we were grieving. And there was this sense that if we could make it through the death of a child, we could make it through anything. And little did I know (laughs) what would yet come. And how many times I would draw upon that which God did then to draw strength and confidence and boldness, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So if God can get me through that, God can get me through anything. How about that time when you didn't have the money to pay the bills? And then God at the 11th hour, something about that 11th hour that God really likes, I might have something to do with the whole faith thing, by the way. (laughs) But right at the 11th hour, He just provides in ways that you could have never imagined. And so you're in a similar situation, and do you recall what God did for you? The last time this happened, why would he? Does this make sense? You'll forgive the silliness with which I uh, illustrate this. Could you imagine God saying, "You know what? It's time for you to grow up. You're on your own, kid. I did that back then, but it's time for you to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, roll up your arm sleeves, and get with the program." No. (laughs) You're looking at me like, would God do that? I'm saying no. He would not do that. He will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, He will be with you always, even until the end of the earth. He's going to abandon me now. He's not going to abandon me. He's not going to forsake. He can't. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. If you haven't yet found a church home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. A church family is a source of support, comfort, and most importantly, faithful prayer warriors. Paul wrote the book of 1 Timothy with this in mind. He knew how important it was to have the support and prayers of other believers in Christ. Church is also a place you can serve and encourage others, too. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join our church family. At Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, we meet on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings, as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. You can also find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there. This is a great tool to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. Again, that website is inspiritandtruthradio.com. As we continue to study the wisdom from the book of 1 Timothy with Pastor J.D., we hope you've been encouraged to live out your faith in a new way. The Bible holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you on your faith journey. So keep diving in. Well, that's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us next time for more from God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth.